0: verses 3 through 8, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. I want to say something that may uh, be be startling at at first, but if you you give me a moment, I'll explain myself. The Great Commission is not for you, at least not for you alone. What I mean by that is when Jesus gave the Great Commission He did not bring Peter aside and say, hey, here's what I want you to do. He didn't bring uh, Matthew aside and say, here's what I want you to do or or any of the others. He called together what was, you know, the foundation of the church. Uh, According to Matthew 28, he called the 11 to himself. Of course, Judas had, you know, done his thing. So there were 11 and these were the men whom he was going to begin the church through. And so... It is that he gave the Great Commission not to individuals and say, you do this, but to the church. That is an important point. And the reason I bring up that point today is because I have had some pastoral concerns over these last two months as I've preached on the master's mission and and realigning our lives and our church with the master's mission and and here's kind of my pastoral concern that that's just been been on my heart and in my mind, is of course as we preach on the great commission and the master's mission. I have highly emphasized the value of sharing your faith, the value of evangelism and the value of of teaching and training up disciples. Because that's what the Great Commission is. Go therefore and make disciples and then teach them to to obey, to observe rather, all that I have commanded. And so I I have given what is a true and right emphasis and, and placed the value on evangelism and teaching that really is there. But here is my concern. See, I know that some of you are, are, are gifted in these ways. You, you have the gift of evangelism. You know, you, you'll talk to anybody at the store and you're happy to share your faith with them. Others of you, that's not really where you're at. You would rather order everything on Amazon and have your groceries shipped just so you don't have to talk to somebody. You know, like it's easy to do that through a computer or a phone. And that's just more how you're wired. And maybe some of you, teaching feels like, you know, something that God has gifted you in. So you can, you know, pretty easily imagine yourself standing up in front of a group of people and and teaching them, maybe even at a pulpit preaching. But others of you would rather not be in a crowded room, much less in front of it, you know, teaching that group of people. We, We all love the Bible. We all want people to come to Jesus. But the fact is, I know that, you are are gifted differently. Some of you do not have the gifts of evangelism and teaching. And so my concern is this. My concern is that you will hear those things. You will hear me me putting a proper value on evangelism and on teaching one another. And two things will happen. Those of you who are gifted, this is a concern. I, I don't know for sure that's happened, but those of you who are gifted in evangelism and in teaching will say, ha, I am valuable to God's church and you will become puffed up with pride, which means you'll also look down your nose. You can't get puffed up without looking down uh, on, upon other people who do not share those gifts. Now that's, that's one concern. My other concern is just the exact opposite. My other concern is that some of you, you know, I, I'm not gifted in evangelism. I'm not gifted in teaching therefore I must be worthless. I must be useless to Christ and his kingdom. But I wanna tell you just very straightforward from the outset, both of those are wrong beliefs and wrong attitudes, and they will both be very destructive, both for your own life and for our church engaging in the master's mission. And thankfully, this is what Paul is going to address. He moves straight from, you know, verse two, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind to, hey, here is how you need to think. And the thinking is going to concern spiritual gifts. And so as you'll see in just a moment, in the context, this is clearly what was going on. There were some who were gifted in these ways and they were being puffed up with pride and looking down on others. And there are others who were being suppressed by those proud people. You can only fit so many big heads in a room, you know, before you push other people out. And that's, that's kind of how it was, you know, they're like, no, we, we don't have room for you because we're, we're the ones doing the ministry here. Just stay out of our way. No one would actually say that, but it's implied through attitudes, through words, through looks in our faces. And so this is what's going on. So with that in mind for, for not only for the Roman church that we're gonna read about, but for us, as well as we engage in the master's mission, let's turn to God's word. Romans 12, uh, verses three through eight. I'm sorry, my clicker. No, sure, appreciate it. Oh, Douglas has got you, I think. He'll he'll, he'll man my slides. I'll wink at you when I want you to change. No, that won't work. (laughs) All right, Romans 12, three through eight. This is God's word on spiritual gifts and how our minds should be right uh, about them so that we're uh, helpful and healthy rather than destructive. So here, here's what Paul says. For, the grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think, think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. He's talking about the human body. As in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let that we need to transform our minds. And so, because we cannot transform our own minds, we learned that last week, but we are putting ourselves under these common means of grace for God to do some very uncommon supernatural work. Let's now turn to him in prayer as we study his word. Father God, we do not want to err in either way when it comes to spiritual gifts and usefulness for your kingdom and for the master's mission. Oh God, let us not be puffed up with pride. And oh God, let us not be deflated and feel useless and paralyzed by these things. Lord, teach us your wisdom today in the way that you have created and organized your church for your glory and the good of the nations. God, teach us today how to think about spiritual gifts in a way that will bring you the most glory. I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. So Paul, in those verses, is clear from the full context that he is speech, speaking about spiritual gifts. And so he, you know, he's given that there, but I wanna break this down for you so we can handle it in manageable b- bites. What, what exactly is Paul telling us about spiritual gifts. And so here's the first thing that we need to learn from Paul. Number one, use your gifts with humility. Use your gifts with humility. As I've just been saying, it appears the Roman church uh, was struggling in this way that people recognize, oh, I'm pretty good at this. Oh, I seem to have some fruit from my life and and the, the efforts I'm putting in. And they were becoming puffed up with pride. And so we see again uh, here in verse three, what Paul says to them, he says, for the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so there, there are a couple things going on here. Okay. uh, In this passage, there are a couple things going on that we need to recognize. First, Paul is saying, some of you, and maybe all of you, you know, you're not using sober judgment. Sober judgment. Is that just like not drunk judgment? Sober judgment is right thinking. Thinking according to reality. Thinking that lines up with reality. He says, some of you are not using sober judgment. And what is it that they're doing? Well, they're thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think. That is the problem. And again, according to the context, this seems to be as a result of the particular gifts that they have in the particular ways that, that they're apparently being used by God. And so Paul's message to them is get off your high horse. <laughs> you, you, this isn't sober thinking. You should not be thinking so highly of yourself. But that is the first part, okay? Because. Paul's goal here is not self-deprecation that we would say, oh, I'm just terrible. I'm the worst and my my gifts don't matter. My gifts are useless. That is not his goal here. His goal is true humility, not not just calling ourselves worthless. He says there um, in in the the end part of the, the verse, let us think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now the measure of faith, again, I just don't have too much time to work through this, uh, but he is talking about this measure of faith that, that, that is for these spiritual gifts. You know, like we, we are saved by faith and through that faith we receive spiritual gifts and this, this measure of faith is, is kind of the outworking of those spiritual gifts. And so we can take it there. He says, we need to think about our spiritual gifts each according to the measure of faith. And here's the big part that God has assigned. So, so humility isn't just saying, no, I'm, I'm the worst, you know, like I'm terrible, I'm useless. It's saying, I do have gifts. There, there are valuable uh, aspects of, of the, the capabilities that I have, but, but humility says, I am not great. The God who has given me those gifts is great. Do you see that? That God has assigned. Friends, if you want to just put it out there, what do we all deserve, each and every one of us? Hell is what I deserve. I mean, every single day I, by the way, merit hell because I sin every single day, whether in thought, deed, or word, in some way I deserve hell. The last thing I deserve or you deserve is to be redeemed by God, brought into a relationship with God, then, then given these abilities by God to go serve God. And so what are we boasting about? What are we proud about? What's puffing us up about this? Paul kind of makes this point uh, very clearly in first Corinthians there. He says, who, sing, who sees anything different in you? He says, you know, you're comparing yourself with others, others and you're getting puffed up. Who sees anything different to you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? I mean, that, that's a that's pretty clear logic. What are you puffed up about? You and I deserve Hell. Why would we we act like, well, I'm special, I'm great because I have the gift of evangelism, I have the gift of teaching, I have this gift and that gift. It's a gift. Like that's literally the definition of a gift, especially a gracious gift from God. Is that this is unmerited, undeserved gifts given in spite of what we deserve That is what all spiritual gifts, abilities, usefulness for the church is, is something granted out of God's mercy and grace, not out of your merit and deservedness. And that levels the playing field and it glorifies God. It says the gifts are real, but it's God who is great. It's God who deserves the glory. It's God who deserves the applause, not me. Therefore, I'm not gonna stick my chest out in the air and my nose up and look down at you at it. I'm going to point to God because he is the one who has given me the gifts. And I, I would say that is true biblical humility. It's not just saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst. Like, that's not even the goal. We should just not be thinking about ourselves. We should just be saying, God is so gracious. God is so good. God is so powerful to work through a sinner like me. This is the humility that should come from sober judgment, Right? That let each of us think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, this has everything, by the way, to do with the master's mission. As I said before, these attitudes are are not only unhelpful, but they are destructive. They will be destructive for your usefulness. They will be destructive for the health of our whole church. They will be destructive for our ability to carry out the master's mission. And I say that based off of just a principle that's all through the Bible. But James says it very clearly. He says in James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you want applause, but to be utterly ineffective for God and to find no joy and deep satisfaction in him, then by all means, let your gifts puff you up. But if you want the conduit of God's grace to flow freely in and through your life, humility is what will be required to not let that toxin, that poison of pride enter your mind and stay there and applaud yourself over and over, then put yourself in front of other people to be applauded. That will stop up your ability, the flow of grace. God actually opposes the proud. That doesn't sound like it will be advantageous for the master's mission, but humility. Saying, yes, the gift is real, but it's, it's from the God. It's from God, not me. He, he is the one who has done this. This is what opens up the flow of grace in and through our lives. And that's the first thing Paul wants them to learn. Now, there there are more aspects that that we need to learn here of, okay, so my gift is real, but I I give glory to God, but, you know, like I'm gifted in these ways, and and so, like, I'm okay, right? Like, I, I can be a Lone Ranger Christian, Right? The Great Commission is for me. It's kind of the idea. Like, I am going to go out and I'm going to accomplish the Great Commission on my own. And those who don't have these gifts, even though we're equally as valuable, you know, um, they, they can't really do anything. Like, they, they don't really add anything to the picture. Well, that, that is the next thing Paul wants to correct. And I'll, so I'll just give you this point use your gifts in harmony. In harmony, I'm not talking about harmony as opposed to fighting, although that does happen when you have competing with spiritual gifts, and I have seen it. What I mean by harmony is I'm talking about an orchestra playing a symphony. Or you could say a body that all its parts are functioning in unison and in connection to one another. This is what we see is Paul's next point, that we can use our gifts in humility but with, in, in harmony. Look at this in verses four through six. He says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. What, what that teaches us, I'll just pause there for now. What that teaches us is, is that every single Christian is united to Christ we, we know that, but also to one another. And then that's the part that we sometimes don't act like is true. Do, do you see it there in the text? He, he's using the, the analogy of a body. So he, say, so he says, For as in one body, a human body, we have many members, so, verse 5, so we, the church, though many, are one body in Christ. He's saying, just, just like a human body is made up of arms and legs and eyes and nose and fingers, you, all these different things. There's many members, but we are one body. Now, again, I feel like most of us know that and think about that. They're like, okay, I'm on the same team as other Christians. But Paul takes it a step further. He says, and individually members one of another. This is profound. When you are united to Christ, you become a member, a part of Christ's body. But not only that, you become members of one another. You are united to Christians in a body-like way, that they are your arm, they are your feet, they are parts of your body and individually members one of another. And so this is so important. God in his wisdom has chosen to make the church Christians, not just a bunch of Lone Ranger, uh, you know, nomad Christians that float around and do their own thing, but a body that is knit together and interdependent on one another. I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable uh, when, when we think about these things uh, that, that God says, hey, I am your all in all, but part of what I am giving you is my body, the church, and you are members one of another. And so that's the first thing that we see there. But we need to take this a step further. The second thing we see is that every Christian has indispensable gifts and functions in the body of Christ. We see this again in those verses. He says, for as in one body we have many members, this is the human body, and the members do not all have the same function. So my arms don't have the same function as my legs. I don't know about you. But then he says in verse five, so we, the church, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There we go, verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. The, the idea is he's speaking to everyone. Every, I, I say to everyone among you, You are all a part of the body of Christ and individually members of one another. And just like a body, we don't all have the same function. And so God has in his wisdom and in his uh, infinite, uh, beautifully driven mind, this understanding that he wants a body made with different parts, with various functions. And, And the beautiful thing is different gifts to different body parts, different members. And so we have different gifts, and I would say again, God doesn't waste his time, God doesn't do anything without purpose, so every member that is joined to his body has a purpose, has a function, and every member that's joined to his body has the gifts needed to fulfill that function. Not everyone is to be a pastor, not everyone is to be a missionary, Sunday school teacher, or small group leader, that is not how a body works. And it's not how the body of Christ works. This is a wondrous reality that, that should, again, for, for some of us, it should, it should pat down our pride. Say, I'm gifted, but God's gifted every Christian. I'm not unique in that manner. I, I am valuable in the eyes of God, but no, no more valuable than the next person because we all have gifts from God to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. But the next thing I want to talk to you about is this. Full power and usefulness come from harmony. So again, to to, to use the idea of the symphony, which is where I get that idea of harmony from. It doesn't matter if you are the greatest trumpet player in the world if you can't play along with the symphony. So long as you play your own sheet of music in your own tune at your own pace, you will ruin the symphony and you will sound silly all at the same time. But what God has done is he has not just made one person gifted at the trumpet. God has gifted trumpets and God has gifted violins and clarinets and the cello and the tuba and and, and a million other, not a million, but many other uh, instruments and, and, and it would be so easy for, for, you know, the violin to say, oh, well, the cello is so much bigger than me. I mean, maybe I shouldn't. And the trumpet is so much shinier than me. And the clarinets, they play so much more smoothly than me. But th- th- what we need to understand is if the, the violins say, I'm not going to play because they, because they, because they, something will be missing. Full power comes when every instrument is playing and playing together, meshed together. Again, you just think about it. I I like hearing a good guitar solo or a violin solo or something like that. But the power that comes when, when 40 instruments are playing together all in their different pitches and tones, coming together, just smashing together. I mean, you can feel it in your chest. That's what God wants the church to be. That each of us are, are using the instrument that God has given us, not saying, oh, if only I were a tuba, if only I were a trumpet, saying, God has made me to be a violin. And, and, and I'm not going to, you know, uh, worry about that. I'm going to use my gift and, and weave it into the harmony of what God wants to do. And what you get is a powerful symphony, a beautiful symphony. That is where the beauty comes from in a way that a solo cannot touch. And that is God's picture that is god's desire for the church his design for the church i would say the the tuba can't say hey violin stop i got to i am doing my thing you need to be quiet no no we're we're, we're harmony and the violin's got to say like I, I know you're you're playing your thing it's just got to it's got to work together all doing their part and so we kind of got to land on this third point I, I i didn't even put a fill in the blank in your notes because I just want you to get it. Use your gifts. Yes, use your gifts with humility. Don't be puffed up with pride. It is a gracious gift from God. Yes, use your gifts in harmony. Don't, don't, don't suppress other people because you want to use your gifts. Don't use your gifts in competition, but to compliment one another. But by all means, use your gifts. I, I don't want to get to heaven, I, I don't like to speak this way, like of, of a shame way, but I, I don't want to get to heaven realizing, Jeff, I gave you gifts and you did nothing with them. And I, I want that same thing for you. I want you to, to know God made me a violin or a piccolo or whatever, and I played it with all my heart. Use your gifts. We see this again in Romans 12, 6 through 8. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If in prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Whatever gift God has given you, use it. Use it for the glory of God, the good of this church, and the good of the lost people that this church might read. Lead, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Reach, there it is, that this church might, might reach. Use your gifts because God has a symphony that he wants us to play. He has written the sheet music, we just gotta follow him. Now, some of you, again, may, may say, uh, but, but, but my, my gifts aren't as impressive as theirs. I, I just wanna say something to you. Uh, you know, Paul's using the, the analogy of the body here. And so what what are our most impressive body parts? I mean, you think about our arms, they're strong, they can lift things, we can write things, you know, we can do this. Our legs, we can walk, we can run. Lord willing, I know our bodies break down, but you know, um, like these are these impressive body parts. But I want you all to understand, even the unseen, seemingly less impressive body parts are so important to our life and our function as a church. So we, we are a church body. We are a local expression of the body of Christ. So you look at me, my arms work fine, my legs work fine. So my impressive body parts work fine. But what you probably can't tell just by looking at me because they're inside of my head is that my optic nerves only function at 50%. And my pituitary doesn't function, I don't know what percent, but it doesn't work right. And I will tell you something, though, though you can't see them, though they kind of just, you know, work under, under the surface, they are so important. I wish I had a more positive spin on this, but I will just say, because those don't work well, my body doesn't function as well. <laughs> when you're 50% blind, you, know, you you hurt yourself sometimes and, you know, you, you do stupid things. And then my pituitary, uh, I, I spend much of my life dehydrated. Like that affects all of your body. That's the point I'm trying to make. These are things that you could not see me, no matter, you couldn't see no matter how long or how hard you looked at me. You wouldn't recognize. And, but that's, that's how it is for us as well. As long as your gifts remain dormant, the body will suffer. We may look good, you know, like, oh, well, we still got the preacher and we got the, the, the worship team. Yeah, those are just the things you see on the surface. Those are the, quote, unquote, more impressive things. But what matters is what's going on underneath. And, and, and that, that may be you. And so I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, it doesn't matter what your gift is. It matters that you use it because God gave you that gift to perform an indispensable, important function in this expression of the body of Christ. But the last thing I want to talk about is you might say, and this is common for people to say, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I believe the Bible. I believe that God unites people to himself and to the body and that he gives each member of the body a gift. But I don't know what my gifts are. And so I just want to say a couple things to that, okay? First, I want to say, don't worry about having a perfect label for your spiritual gift. It doesn't matter. Like the Bible, by the way, any spiritual gift list you look at, there are no two that are the same. I mean, what does that tell you? Well, it tells you that God's not that concerned with perfect categories and labels. I would also say, even just looking at these ones, if prophecy in proportion to faith, in exhortation, in, 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 by exhort, exhorting, in teaching, in teaching, it's like, you tell me the difference between prophecy, which is just a proclaiming God's word, the difference between that and teaching and exhorting. Like I, I did figure it out like on paper, but it took some real work to, there's a lot of overlap between generosity and mercy, right? Those are two other gifts. Uh, like there's so much overlap. And so what I want you to think of yourself is is, is not as a uh, like, here's my label, but rather as a, a, a shade of paint that God has mixed and mashed together. And this, this is who you are. You have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you have the perfect amount, by the way, to perform what God wants you to do. So don't worry about a label, okay? You, you don't have to, well, I have the gift of uh, this, so I'm gonna do, no, just, and that kind of leads me to my, my next thing. If you want to know what your gifts are, to see uh, where you excel, where God is making you excel, serve the church, serve the church. And I, and I mean, serve Christ, serve his body, serve the master's mission with us, and you will see your gifts come to the surface. I'll, I'll show you this uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter fourteen, twelve. This is in the context of spiritual gifts uh, versus uh, in those chapters there. He says this, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, such as spiritual gifts, you know, uh, fruit bearing from, from our lives through our functions, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And so that's just the most practical advice I can give you. Don't wait until you have a neatly categorized, labeled spiritual gift to say, okay, now I'm going to start serving the church in a way that perfectly fits my gifts. I would say, start the other way. Start serving the church and just see what, what, what connects with you, what resonates with you, what, what God seems to be blessing in your life. And it doesn't have to be evangelism. It doesn't have to be teaching. It could simply be, when I come to church, I'm gonna say, to encouraging things to people. And, and you might say, man, that person, they, they seemed really encouraged. That, that's the gift of encouragement. God is using you to encourage people. I told you guys at the beginning at the announcements, Taylor told me to start, you know, doing, lead a Bible study and here I am uh, 10 years later, 12 years, whatever it is. Um, like it was just such a small thing. We just, we f- were faithfully serving God, pursuing his purposes and your gifts will come to the surface. And then you press in in those areas. This is God's beautiful design for the church. There is none higher or none lower in the body of Christ. We are all useful for the kingdom. Yes, we have one mission. We do, to make disciples and train disciples. We have one mission, but we are one body with many members to accomplish that one mission. And that's what I want to enlist you to do with me, that we do it with humility and harmony that God may be glorified through us. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful once again, even as we reflect on the humility required for using our spiritual gifts, we are reminded of how we should every day wake up humble. Wake up remembering we don't even deserve to wake up that day. Wake up remembering we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve a relationship with you that pours life and joy and peace and hope into our hearts. We deserve none of it. And Lord, you have just been so good and so gracious to us. And God, we ask that you would help us to steward the gifts you have given each and every one of us for your glory. God, let let us who have the the seemingly more impressive gifts wield those with humility, recognizing it is undeserved, unmerited gift. Let those of us who, who think, oh, my gift isn't all that impressive, let us take heart in knowing that the God of the universe designed us and gifted us that way for this particular purpose. And Lord, may we come together serving one another, serving Christ, and may it be a beautiful symphony in your ears and for the world around us to see the beauty of Christ. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and use this very familiar hymn as our commitment to obedience. Returned, now I love to proclaim redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child. Child and forever I am. Amen. What a glorious truth! I am so thankful that I got to worship with you, that I got to learn with you, and I'm thankful that we get to look forward to the future, the way God is going to use this body for His glory as we work together in harmony and the ways God has graciously gifted us. I want to remind you that next week we will have our fellowship lunch um, after after the service there in the gym. That's just a great time, truthfully, it's a great time to minister to one another and to exercise the gifts we have as we serve one another for God's glory. And so I, I hope you are looking forward to that as well. And I uh, just want to remind you, like, uh, take a moment to say hello to Anna, get to know her a little bit, uh, grab her prayer cards, maybe sign up for her uh, newsletter. And, um, yeah, if, if the Lord lays it on your heart to commit to praying for her or even um, supporting her financially, I think that would be a great blessing. Let's pray and have God send us out. Father God, you are worthy of more worship than we could ever muster. Our hearts cannot even express how great you are. But Lord, we are thankful that we get to experience you, enjoy you, and we get to serve you. God, thank you for the ways you have gifted these people. May you use us for your glory as you send us out into this world and as we minister to one another throughout the week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week.